This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a father-son combo that's uh, two fantastic elk callers. We actually have a couple of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, world champion callers. We've got Brian and Braden Langley from McMin- McMinnville, Oregon. Yep. And uh, Brian is a 2009 men's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation champion. He won as in the pro division 2012-2013. Uh, he won the pro division. He got second place in 2014. He's a five-time Oregon state champion elk caller. And his son, Braden, uh, won uh, the peewee division. He's won in 2009. He was a world champion. 2010, he got second in the youth. 11 and 13, he won second in the youth. And in 2014, he won the world in the youth division. Uh, he also called in 2012 uh, in the in the Oregon State uh, Championships and uh, I believe finished second. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, two phenomenal elk callers. Uh, Brian is a point-blank game calls pro staffer. Uh, I've heard these guys call in person. I've known them for years. Uh, when I judged the contest, uh, the Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation contest in 2011, 12, and 13, uh, they were both competing, uh, both elk fanatics, and uh, it's great to have father, son, Brian and Braden. How are you guys doing? We're doing really yeah. good. Thanks, Jay, for having us on your show today. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk elk. You know, um, uh, you know, we're going into turkey season here, but uh, in Arizona, our draws will be coming out for elk here in another probably three weeks. And, uh, you know, it's about, you know, about the end of March, everybody starts getting excited around for elk around here. And I'm honestly starting to grow tail feathers and strut around the house. And <laughs> I, I've already, uh, you know, uh, overrun my welcome with my wife with all my turkey calls. So, um, it's nice to talk to you guys a little bit about elk. Um, I want to dive into straight into elk calling with you guys. And, uh, Brian, first, why don't you give me a little, um, give me a little rundown on, on you and Braden and what you guys like to do and tell me a little bit about your family. Okay. So, um, we've grown up in the, uh, in the McMinnville area, lived here all of our lives and, and grew up in a hunting family. I mean, dad really, um, started that tradition, um, early on, um, pretty much hunted all of my life, uh, mainly hunted, um, uh, with a rifle for black-tailed deer up until about 1990. And then a guy from my dad's work introduced my dad to archery hunting and, and him and I picked it up, um, at that time, um, both together. And, you know, um, with archery hunting elk, I mean, it's, it's a challenging sport and 
and learning to call um, just gives you that that extra um, advantage in, in trying to hunt those animals. And so that was really kind of the start of the calling um, for me. And then, and Braden, um, I think, you know, from the time before he could actually walk in his car seat, he's been out there, you know, on hunting trips with, you know, with me. And so um, it was just a natural for him just to um, join along with us. And I think, um, Braden was nine when he actually, um, called in his first bull that, uh, a Roosevelt bull that I, I actually had harvested. So it's in the blood. That's fantastic. And, um, uh, Braden is 16 years old. Uh, Brian, do you have any other children? And, uh, 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 you're married as well, I know. Yep. Uh, been married this year will be 26 years to my wonderful wife, Rhonda. And we have um, six children. We have three boys and three girls. And uh, Brayden is currently the only one who hunts with me. The two um, oldest girls, they thought they might like to hunt and they tried it out, but um, they didn't realize that hunting means you actually go out and, and actually hunt. You don't always find yeah. something. So. Absolutely. And probably getting up at three in the morning, multiple days in a row and weeks in a row is probably it's not for everybody. That's for sure. Yeah, No hair dryers either. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, guys, um, when you do go archery elk hunting, do you primarily hunt Roosevelt elk or Rocky Mountain elk? You know, over the years, we've um, primarily hunted Roosevelt elk. Um, I love to go to Eastern Oregon. I love the uh, openness over there of, of uh, the terrain compared to um, hunting the brush bulls over here on the coast. It's it's way more challenging um, hunting Roosevelt elk just with all the brush. So, but we've we've mainly hunted Roosevelt elk for the most part. But I go east whenever I can. Got you. And um, how does it work in the state of Oregon as far as your elk tag? Is it just one elk? Uh, and it's uh, you can shoot a Roosevelt or a Rocky Mountain. How does that work, guys? It's um, there's a, a general archery um, season tag that's good for either um, pretty much anywhere in the state except for those units that are draw units. There's a few units in the state that you actually have to draw for, but other than that, it's just an over-the-counter general archery season tag. Great. And um, Braden, have you been able to um, harvest uh, elk yet with your bow? Yeah, in I think it was 2011, uh -huh. I shot my first elk with a rifle, and, uh -huh. and I got an elk in, shot an elk with a rifle in 2013, uh -huh. and in 2014, I shot my first bull with a uh, bow. Awesome. Did you call the bull in? Tell me a little bit about your first uh, bull elk with a bow. Well, for, um, well, actually, my dad called in my bull. We had been, uh, do we go into the full detail about it or? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the hunt. Tell me about your dad calling it in or, uh, you know, tell me about the hunt. Okay, so we were um, going to try out a new area, kind of out of the blue, just a friend had recommended it. And so, um we parked at the gate in the morning and hiked out this trail and uh we had seen we got we spooked some elk that were just like down from the trail a little ways and um 
they took off running and so we stopped a little bit stopped for a little bit and called and waited and called some more to see if we could get a response and then a little bit later um after, after we had walked some more we heard a bull bugle uh not too far from the trail and so we uh marked the spot and on our gps and went off went after the bull to see if we could uh get him to come in and he kind of just it was kind of a uh, cat and mouse chase for quite a while and then so finally we just decided to uh sit down and do some calling for a little while to see if we could get something to come in and um the uh we heard another bull bugle and it came in to my dad actually and um and my dad didn't have a shot and um so he went to he well, he was holding his bow his bow at full draw and he didn't have a shot and uh a cow saw him which he didn't see um when he let down his bow and they took off running and then he uh started bugling got back a little ways and set me up and uh the bull came in same bull the same bull came in again uh-huh. And I drew my bow, and I, I think I cow-called at the wrong time or something, and it, it stopped right when there was a tree by its vitals. Uh-huh. And, uh, I've done I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was waiting, and it, Are you at full draw? Yeah, I was at full draw. Uh-huh. Bull's like at 10 yards. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's got you pegged, or he's just stopped? And he's he's looking right at me because the okay cow. okay and so um was it did he take off running yeah. he just turned to he, leave yeah he turned to leave I think I think he did he run a little bit first yeah, I think he ran a little bit first and I cow called and um and he stopped at around I guess I just guessed around thirty yards and there was another tree right by its vitals. <laughs> And, uh-huh. and then it's funny how they it's funny how that happens <laughs> isn't it yeah and then um as he started to walk away. I shot and um, he was quartering away and I hit him a little bit back, but it ended up going right in the heart on the other side. So, and he didn't go too far. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That That's a great story. I think that's a good lesson for people listening. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you're calling up a bull and you guys can jump in here, you know, when you're calling them up and they get in pretty close, they have a way of finding out when you're drawing your bow, and it always seems like they stop when everything is in plain view except for their vitals. Yeah. But 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 a good tip there is, you know, even if they're going to spook, it's okay because usually they take four, five, six, seven steps, and you can cow call or give a spike-type bugle, and they will stop and turn around most all the time. You can stop them. Would you guys concur with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, that's that's why it's, you know, so – um, nice to be able to to learn to use a diaphragm call is just because you have that ability just to be able to draw your bow and then call at the same time to get those elk to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that's that's the beauty of a diaphragm, and um, it's also the beauty of having two guys calling. And uh, you know, um, if you're stuck and pinned down, you know your dad's behind you can probably be making some cow sounds and what have you and maybe get a chance to draw that bull's attention away from you so that was last season i take it in september Braden. so you're uh obviously looking forward to this season yeah i am Can't wait. that's fantastic what kind of bow are you shooting i'm shooting a bow tech experience right now nice and your dad what does he shoot 
a Botech RPM 360? Yeah, yep. So it sounds like Botech runs in the family? Yeah, it does. <laughs> We've shown that for years. That's great. That's great. And um, so your first bull was on the ground, and um, did you guys have a long pack out? Was it just you and your dad, and how did you get the elk out? Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a hard <laughs> pack out. It, it, was it in a bad spot? You know, it, it really wasn't that bad of a spot, but it was about two miles from the truck. Uh-huh. Just a little over two miles, but there was just tons of blowdowns in there, and mm-hmm. so you had lots of lots of high stepping, and so we didn't have our, our our meat packs with us. We just had our day packs, and so we, uh, but we had all we you know carry all of our game bags and and uh, knives and stuff in our day packs, so we can you know process the elk there on the ground. And so we quartered up the elk, and then we um, Braden packed the head out on the first trip. And then we got our, our meat packs and then started back in. What time, What when you uh, shot the elk, when you got it done, and when you got back to the truck with the first load, give me a time frame here. What are we dealing with? I shot the elk, it was 11, I think. Isn't it? Okay. When we found it. Yeah, right around 11. So you're midday, you're yeah. midday dealing with the elk and probably getting back to the truck at 3, 4 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, we when we were hiking back in, we actually ran into some guys that were coming out and hindsight, you know, sometimes <laughs> the guys were really nice and we showed them some pictures of our bull and we had actually heard them bugling earlier in the day. And, and, uh, they asked us if we needed some help packing the elk out and, you know, we didn't want to, to mess up their hunt or anything. Hey, let me, let me give you guys some advice. The answer to that is always yes. <laughs> so, so we said, no, we don't need any help. We can handle it. <laughs> and so we got back to the, uh, we got back to the elk and uh, got our first pack loaded up and it started raining and uh, man, it, and we didn't have any rain gear with us and it was, it just started coming down and it got dark and, thunder and lightning and you know it was a good thing that we had marked uh, our trail with our gps on the way in um, so we knew exactly where the elk was at because if if we didn't have that gps you know we wouldn't have been able to get in and out of there um, in the dark like that and so it you know it was probably close to midnight 11 o'clock i think that night by the time we got everything back to camp so it was a, it was a long hard pack out yeah, you guys will never forget that one. That that's fantastic. Um, uh, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about uh, what elk meat means to your family? And um, do you guys obviously do you eat a lot of um, game meat? You know, we do eat a lot of game meat. You know, and I always think back because I think it's funny because I think God has a sense of humor because when uh, my wife and I got married, she was a vegetarian. Vegetarian. Uh-huh. The hunter. So, <laughs> but yeah. you know, after years of of eating these, you know, nice organic thick steaks, um, she finally came around. So she's she's full into it now. So we we eat a lot of elk, um, a lot of blacktail deer. Um, Braden's harvested one turkey, had a couple shots last year, but that didn't pan out. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, and you guys have uh, turkey season. Are you going to be hunting here uh, coming up here? What is it, another month for you guys? Yeah, the beginning of April, turkey season opens. So we're per- are you as avid with turkey you know, as you are for elk? Pretty new, actually, with um, with turkey hunting. We um, 
Braden went on a, a guided turkey hunt with Jody Smith um, down out of Southern Oregon or kind of uh-huh. yeah, that direction. But, and then he harvested his first turkey there. So that kind of got us started thinking about turkey hunting a little more, you know, when you have a big family and you, you know, a full-time job, sometimes you have to pick and choose what you're going to spend all your time on. And elk is really our passion. So that's what we kind of focus on mainly. Sure. And um, while we're on that subject, uh, what do you do for a living, uh, Brian? So I work out at the um, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde. So we're okay. we're both tribal members of the Grand Ronde Tribe. And um, I manage the higher education program. And then right now I have a, a double duty as the assistant general manager. Okay. And, uh Braden, I assume being 16, you're probably about a sophomore or junior? Yeah, I'm a sophomore. Okay, and Braden, what do you do other than elk hunting? I think you I think you uh, play an instrument or in a band, aren't you? Yeah, I'm or, in a, kind of in a band with my sisters. We play at, you know, local coffee shops and different events. Awesome. Are you, are you, do you sing or do you play an instrument? I play the guitar and uh, my sisters sing and one of them plays the bass. Nice. So as a family, you guys go and play at different coffee shops around around the area? Yeah, that's pretty fun. Nice, nice. Do, um, I'm doing learning some programming, you know, and I also am taking some uh, martial art classes. So. Oh, I saw that on Facebook. Um, what, what type of ma- martial arts are you interested in? It's called Shaolin Kempo. It's kind of a mix of the different... Uh, systems. Okay, good, good. How long have you been doing that, Braden? It'll be about four years. Nice, and, nice, good for you. Yeah, he's actually um, getting ready to test for his black belt here this summer. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic! Wow, that uh, that keeps you in good shape, I I assume. Yeah. Good for you. Um, I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, competition calling. Uh, and I'd like to get both of your perspectives on, you know, how many contests you call in a year and, um, you know, h- how do nerves play into the competition calling and, uh, you know, how, how when you first started, how were the nerves and have you been able to conquer those or does it still get real uh, nerve wracking and, and how do you handle that as a caller? Either one of you can start out. So... Um, I'm trying to think the first competition I called, I think it was like in 2006, there was a uh, sportsman's warehouse in Salem that opened up in that first year. They had a, an elk calling competition, really had no idea what that was even about or, or uh, what the process was. And so it was really a, a huge learning curve and uh, types of calls that you need to do in a competition. But um Nerves definitely play a huge role in in uh, being successful up on the stage. I mean, uh, the first time that I called at a World Elk Calling Championship was when the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation had their annual convention here in Portland, Oregon. And so I, I went there and, and called in that competition. I remember it very, very clearly because my legs were shaking. <laughs> so <laughs> up there on stage, <laughs> I was sure, you know, everybody could, could see that. But um, how did you do? I ended up uh, missing the finals by one point. 
Oh, good for you in your first in your first uh, big contest. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of stuff, and and um, you know, just listening to some of the other callers, and then you know, just having conversations with some of those callers, and you know, all the callers are are uh, you know really friendly and willing to share how they make specific calls or what kind of calls to do. I know that um, J.R. Keller actually he was one of the first guys that I had um, a conversation with and he was very helpful at, you know, just, you know, giving me some tips and he's a fantastic guy. He's a great caller, but he's just a fantastic guy. So it doesn't surprise me at all that JR was one of the first to reach out to. Yeah. And he was actually um, the guy who kind of ran the elk calling competition for the sportsman's warehouse that year, the first year I called. So it was, it was a good learning experience, but you know, even today, I mean, I still get a little nerved up. Um, still getting up on stage. Sometimes it, um, sometimes I get more nerved up than others. Like, um, this last year, I, since I had won it the previous year, I didn't even, you don't have to call in the preliminaries, but I always do just to try to work out some of the nerves. And I was way more nervous in the uh, preliminaries than I was in the finals. Is that right? Yeah. And um, Braden, what about you? What's your experience been? Uh, how old were you in that 2010, I guess, uh, at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, or if you entered state contest? How 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 were your nerves? I always get nervous every year. <laughs> yeah. And what were you saying? Uh, how do you handle that? Uh, taking deep breaths and. <laughs> Does it work? Uh, (laughs) You know, one of the things that kind of helps is to have a specific routine already practiced out. And then, um, and then you can, you could actually write that routine down and Braden tapes his routine to his tube so he can just, he can see it and then he can just go through those. And that, that really helps, um, to calm the nerves a little bit because you kind of know exactly what you're going to do when you're up there. Mm-hmm. So it almost gives it some structure and then you cut you in essence block out everything and you're basically just running through your routine right. uh, by, by going off your notes that are that's taped on your bugle. Mm-hmm. And um, guys, uh, I'd like for you to uh, give me a little bit of uh, demonstration, either, you know, maybe a run that you would run on the stage or maybe just uh, give me some cow calling and talk about uh you know, your style of cow calling and then, uh, you know, or if you want to start with bugling first, um, maybe run through some bugles or something. Give me, give me some demonstration here if you would. Okay. I, either one of you can start. I don't care. Okay. So I'll have Braden call here in just a second. But, you know, it seems like um, the calling continues to evolve over the years when somebody hears uh, a new sound out there. I know um, Steve Chapel had the uh, estrus scream, and so then, you know, everybody's trying to do the estrus scream on the stage. And, and some of those calls that you end up doing on the stage, I don't necessarily always use out in the field, but it's good to have a variety of different ca- calls when you're up on stage. And so we'll do, try to do all of those cow sounds, calf sounds, so a lost calf, kind of a, a cow-calf talking together, couple of cows talking together, maybe a cow bugle. We'll do an ester scream and a cow bark and, and then just kind of some some cow herd talk. So Yeah, give it give it to me. All right, Braden. Yeah. 
There we go. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, now, were, were you both calling there, or was that all just Braden? That was all just Braden. <laughs> wow. I know it. That That's fantastic. I thought you bo- both were calling. I'm like, <laughs> goodness, there, there's a whole herd there. Um, <laughs> Braden, what kind of calls um, are you liking to blow right now? What are you using? Um, right now, I'm using the Jones Medium. Um, Jones Medium? Yeah, Jones Medium. And- have you always used a, a, a diaphragm call uh, on, in your in your calling competition? Your routine? Do you do, do you always use a mouth diaphragm, or do you do have you used you know bite and blows, or you know some of the uh, you know hoochie mamas, or have you always used a diaphragm? I use, some, once in a while I use the um, like a hyperlip sternal reading call uh-huh. with with the diaphragm too, but. And on the stage, uh, when you have nerves, is it a little harder to control those external calls? I know for me as a hunter, when I'm guiding guys, uh, you know, it's maybe not nerves as much, but, you know, maybe confidence in the call with it sticking sometimes. Uh, Have you had a call, an external call ever stick on you or, or has that been fairly successful for you? You know, I haven't had one actually do that in competition. Definitely. Because you're not blowing on it all the time, and so there's not as much saliva that's built up in the call. And so, um, you know, I'll bring a number of those. Um, I use the Mini Mew by Point Blank, but I'll I'll bring a number of those and just play with them ahead of time to see which one that I can, you know, blow on without it, you know, making any mistakes. Because, you know, that's one of the, the differences between calling out in the woods and competition calling is, is you can get away with some stuff out in the woods and elk are, are a little forgiving, but up on the stage, it's not so forgiving. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got judges and, you know, I've judged in the contest and, you know, I mean, that's your job. You're sitting there look, listening for any little slight weakness <laughs> yeah. at all. And it's like, you know, even the, the last place finisher in the contest is probably going to call the heck out of bulls. Oh. So, I mean, it, it it's, I, I, I just got back from the National Wild Turkey Federation uh, uh, Grand Nationals, and I mean, I just have to say, I mean, even in the preliminaries, I mean, they're all fantastic callers, and how the judges, you know, honestly, the top, you know, the guys that make it to the finals, the top 10, I mean, as as an elk judge, I can hear a lot of the stuff with the elk, but I have no idea how these turkey uh, judges judge, because they just seem all phenomenal to me. Uh, Braden... There was a particular call there in your routine that was a real kind of a nasally, even a calf type of real, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked that call. Um, give me that call, and I, I want to see if that's uh, that's the one that I liked. It was, it 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 to me, it sounded like a kind of a high pitch, kind of nasally uh, calf calf kind of a kind of an excited calf sound. Okay. it yeah i mean to me uh you're just gonna tear the elk up in the woods with that you know that short um just real nasally kind of uh call uh dad how do you like that call of of his oh i love that call and you know i think competition calling wise i mean i think that's one of the big things that separates um those top spots is the you know the ability to be able to do those real soft um, cow sounds and those real kind of 
um, real clear, kind of excited cow or calf sounds. So absolutely, because you know, those absolutely. I mean those take a lot of work, a lot of a lot of practice to be able to get those real soft cow sounds. And I I mean I know I've watched a lot of your videos on YouTube and and uh, a lot of the demonstrations that you've done and and um, and watched you call in a lot of bulls down there and uh and I'm always impressed at your ability to actually to be able to do those real soft cow sounds and so you know my calling out in the woods has kind of evolved over the years and it seems like in the last probably 5 years I do a lot more of those real kind of soft cow sounds than I used to do I I used to do a lot more aggressive kind of cow sounds where now I'll do a lot softer cow sounds and call a lot less than I used to too yeah, I mean, I, I tell people, I mean, a lot of times speaking in mainly Arizona, I mean, if I can sneak into, you know, 60, 70 yards from a group of elk that don't know I'm there, and if I can get that close, usually with my soft nasally stuff that I can do, uh-huh. um, you can get those elk at least to close half the distance. I think one of the challenges, and you guys can chime in, I think one of the challenges in trying to explain to people that if there's elk bugling and, and you know, you're, you're moving in towards them, if you are calling periodically as, as you're coming in, they are, one, they are looking in your direction, and two, they are getting used to you coming and, and they just sense you coming and they're going to pick you off. But if you can use your woodsmanship to get in tight, and then use that soft, you know, nasally just heard talk. You know, I a lot of those sounds you can't even hear unless you're, you know, 50, 60 yards from those elk. Yeah, right. Uh, I've found that uh, my success in calling bulls in and cows, for that matter, goes way up when you use those real soft, just just in, inner dynamic herd talk. You know, uh, where you're just uh you know most people will get in 50 yards and blow their same cadence you know yeah yeah and just blow them out just like if i were to walk up to you at you know 10 feet and just use my booming voice you would it would scare you but if i said hey man what's going on that would be normal so definitely um uh brian why don't you give me uh a little of your cow calling and um let me hear some of it Very good. Real wide variety. Um, And tell me, on some of those calls, you could tell that you were manipulating a little bit with your lips, you know, by closing and opening. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're getting those different tones a little bit by by opening and closing your mouth, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, just by making different shapes with your mouth, you can get different sounds out of the diaphragm call or calling out of the side of your mouth or you know, there's a lot of things that you can do with a diaphragm call. So, yeah, and um, those are point blank calls that you're using there, Brian. Right, they are. Yeah, um, fantastic. That's all great stuff. And um, let's jump into the bugling a little bit. Uh, either one of you can go. Um, 
Do you use primarily a tube? Why don't you tell me a little bit about the setup that you use for the competition and the setup you use for uh, for uh, out in the woods? And if they're the same, maybe compare and contrast those. Okay. So with um, competition calling, I'll usually just use two different tubes. One is just, you know, a tube about the a, a big around as the diameter of an elk's um, esophagus. And it's probably 18 inches long or so. Mm-hmm. I, I like to use that tube just to kind of start off with to do kind of a, just a bowl, kind of an older bowl sound and then a, a smaller bowl sound. And then we have our uh, um, wiffle ball bat that we've um, cut off and modified to make an elk bugle out of. And, and are you putting any kind of tube tamers or are you putting any, you know, muffling it in any way? What what are you tricking it out with? Yeah, What's we, the... we have a, um, a pretty thick fleece cover over the top of it and then a couple of tube, tube tamers just to kind of um, deaden the sound just a little bit so it doesn't sound so tuby. But, you know, these wiffle ball bats can produce a great sound. Too big for my for my liking to carry out in the woods. I don't, I don't feel that I need it. Um, elk, you know, hear so well anyways. I mean, I usually just carry the point blank grunt tube. It's got kind of a, a bell end on it. And it's about probably, you know, 18 to 20 inches long or something. I usually pack that one with me most of the time. And then, you know, once in a while, what I'll do when I'm out in the woods is I'll carry a, um, it's just the end of a, a buck grunt. And so it's just that little plastic tube on the end that's probably only about five inches long, just to mm-hmm. sound like a small bowl, and I'll carry that with me. And you can just collapse it and stick it in your pocket, and it's a you can actually get a pretty good little sound out of it. Nice. Um, why don't you walk me through some um, bugling? Uh, you know, maybe start out with some small bowl stuff, and then work your way up to. I know you have a wide wide variety of bugles. Maybe work me through or maybe do a couple and tell me what you're going to do next. Kind of walk me through it. So I'll do um, just kind of a small bowl, just kind of that pretty short kind of high-pitched sound with some real pretty fast um, grunts on the end. That's awesome. You know, when I'm when I'm competition calling to, I like to do a variety of different calls. So I'll do some small bowls, some bigger bowls, some lip balls, try to do some breathing and those kind of herd sounds. And so kind of a older kind of a bowl, kind of a moan bugle kind of a thing that I do at the beginning kind of sounds like this. You know, and. And uh, not a lot of people in the competition calling do that kind of a sound. They, they're doing a lot of the bigger bull sounds. And so it seems like, you know, that's helped me in the competitions just to be able to do a variety of different sounds. So I usually use that smaller tube to do those sounds and then, and then switch and then um, pick up the wiffle ball bat and do like a pretty aggressive um, kind of a lip ball. And when you're doing a lip ball, you're just doing a bugle and you're kind of sputtering your lips to be able to get that um, real kind of raspy kind of bugle. (laughs) 
really good. Yeah, that's um, really good. Now, are you moving uh, when you're on stage? Are you going to do that and move at the same time, or are you going to be stationary with that with that bugle? You know, um, I usually face the curtain when I'm up on the stage calling because that's where the judges are located at. And I'll move my tube either from left to right or right to left to kind of just move that sound across the stage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then we'll go into some some kind of uh, like a bowl with some cows, some kind of some moaning and some some uh, a little bit of breathing and those kind of sounds kind of sounds like this. I don't know if you can hear it on the mic, but we'll try it. Just, you know, trying to get some of those real kind of natural kind of sounds that bulls make and not that we can really imitate um, bulls exactly, you know, when we had the uh, champion of champions competition down there where we had to listen to real bulls and try to imitate their exact sounds that was pretty pretty crazy that was a lot of fun though absolutely so you want Braden to do some calls yeah, yeah i love, love it. it okay Braden, why don't you do a few bull sounds <clears throat> That's fantastic. Um, uh, Braden, which diaphragm are you using to bugle, and is it the same one you're using to cow call? It's, it's the same um, like type of call, but it's, it, it's a different one that I've tuned differently. Gotcha. Um, and do you guys actually cut your own calls and, and make your own calls, or uh, do you use all production calls? Yeah, we we just use all production calls right now, but but what we do is is we'll tune the calls, and so we'll bend them up a little bit um, just to loosen the latex up to get the sound out of it that we want to get out of it. So we'll uh, bend our cow calls up a little bit more to loosen that t- latex up a little more. Found it it's a little easier to get those you know real soft cow sounds with a little bit looser latex. So we've we've done and, that. and tell me when you're. Talking, uh, I'm getting some feedback there. I don't know if our, um, did you take your headset off or something? No, huh? Okay. Um, tell me about when you're bending these calls. So when you're looking at the horseshoe, are you uh, bending it in the direction that your mouth is shaped or are you taking it and pushing the horseshoe together? Walk me through the, the your your pro tuning technique because I kind of have my own. I'm curious what you're so, doing. What we'll do is we'll bend the back end of that horseshoe um, towards the shape of the roof of our mouth, and then we'll try the call and see if we like the sound that we're getting out of it. If we don't, then we'll take the front end of that horseshoe um, towards the open end, and I'll bend 
each side of that kind of downward and forward on, on both sides of, of the horseshoe. And then I'll try the call again. And then um, if I'm still not getting the sound that I want, then I'll pinch that open end of the horseshoe together to loosen up that latex. So we just continue to do that. And, you know, sometimes I have people um, ask me, you know, how much should I bend the call? Can I bend the call too much? And so I usually just take one of my old calls and I'll bend it completely in half and then straighten it back out and call with it. So I'm like, you know what, don't be afraid to bend up your calls a little bit because, I mean, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to um, to adjust the tension in the latex to be able to get the sound out of out of it that you want. And so you can do that by bending that call up. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing, I, I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, but I've noticed that uh, when I have a, a mouth call and um, when the heat's on and, you know, I'm trying to be real crisp and real clean with my initial first call and, you know, talking about cow call, I'll take my tongue actually and pull the latex in. It's in my mouth, but I'll actually take my tip of my tongue and I'll kind of bend that latex at a downward I'll just bend it down just a touch. Do, do you do that, or have you found that as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do that. I push up and down on the latex and pull on it. And, yeah, if I'm not getting the sound out of it that I, you know, that I think that I want or need, then I, I will definitely do that. I've found that uh, for whatever reason, uh, for me to just come right out of the gate, if I'm in close and I've got to make just a perfect call, I'll almost every time just kind of um, – I'll just take that my tongue and just barely pull that latex down and then just go right, put my air on it, and it, it seems like it just it's in perfect tune. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, when you say you're bending the, the the call, when if you were to set it on a flat surface, would it actually have bend that you could see in it, or is are we talking real minute little bend? No, you can see the bend in it. You know, and it it just. It just depends, I guess, on, on you know, the bull call. Um, I'm going to want stretch just a little bit tighter. And so I may not bend the back end of that, that horseshoe as much as I would as a cow call. But um, but I have my call sitting on a flat surface right now, and you can definitely see a bend in it. Yeah. Um, another tip that I do, and you guys can chime in if you have other tips. Uh, I found, oh, seven, eight years ago when – when I would go through, you know, one of the challenges, as you, as you know, with uh, elk calls, a lot of times is getting calls that are real consistent as far as, you know, out of the package. You know, you can get 10 out of a package and sometimes the consistency isn't as good. Right. I got sometimes where if I'd go through, a you know, 20 different calls that, you know, maybe there'd be 10 of them that just weren't right. right. Um, I would actually and this may have no scientific, uh, uh, but Steve Chappell and I used to actually put uh, Sprite or Pepsi oh, really? in, in a cup, <laughs> and we would put the calls that didn't sound exactly right, and we'd let them soak, and we didn't have exact, I probably did it more than he did, but I, I think what it ended up doing is whatever the carbonation or the sugar or something in the, in the, carbonated beverage would actually break the latex down a little bit i think so 
and and sometimes with those multiple uh, latex reeds, uh, in my mind, I want a turkey called. I want the reeds to always be separate and 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 act independently on their own. But on elk calls, I want the reed, whether it's a a double reed or a triple reed, and of course a single. I want them to act as one uniform group. Now, other people may have differing opinions, but I found that by putting them in soda and letting them soak and probably the sugar, it might be the syrup, but when I could get the latex on a triple or a double reed or sometimes, you know, a diamond cut or whatever, you know, your uh-huh, your, right. your cuts are, uh, I found that you could actually tune your call by that. Have you ever tried that? No, I haven't ever tried that. Hmm. Have you ever yeah. heard of it? Nope, I haven't ever heard of it either. I mean, I, I know that, you know, if, if I've had a reed that I couldn't get the sound like I wanted it to do just by keeping it in your mouth for an extended period of time, that saliva on the call would tend to loosen that latex up a little bit too. Yeah, and what's your thinking on my theory of uh, wanting your latex to all be one? You know, I don't mind a triple and with different cuts, but I want that. I found it's most consistent when those latex are meshed together or 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 mel- I don't know what the word is, but they all act as one. What's your thoughts on that, Brian? You know, I hadn't even really thought about that too much, and and I know that that sometimes. Um, you know, I have I know people who are very specific about their call, and you know the the short latex needs to go up, or some people the short latex needs to go down, and you know I've tried the calls both directions, and I haven't found where it makes a lot of difference, and I always put my short latex up. What do you, no kidding? No, what do you end up doing? I'm always uh, the the uh, short latex for me is always on the bottom. Oh, really? Interesting. It's yeah, that that's interesting. I'm gonna have to try that. Uh, I'm gonna have to try that. So, are most of the calls that you're blowing, Brian, are they a single or a or a double latex? Um, for competition calling, a double latex. For out and are, out in the field, I mean, I I carry all of them, single. And is single. is the double latex? Uh, is it? Does it have any cuts in it, or is it just two pieces of latex staggered, one's a little, little longer than the other? Yep, just staggered, no cuts. And I, I know like Joel Turner, and I know I think Corey even um, Jacobson, uh, and and actually some of the other guys. I know from time to time in in a lot of their calls they'll nick either right. side of of it. Do you nick any of your calls? No, nope, I don't. You know when the um, Point Blank has the Championship Series calls, which Joel helped. Um, to design those calls and he he has one call that actually has two nicks in it so is the nick on the same side or are they nicked are they opposite side nicks? opposite sides inter- interestingly enough yeah and that that's interesting to me uh i know i mean i i'm probably not the way i used to be as much but i used to you know i'd get calls usually by the 50 or 100 i mean i would just get a whole pile of them and the I would always have ones that just, for whatever reason, never worked. And with those, I would always play around with surgical scissors and put nicks in them. And sometimes I could bring a call that just couldn't blow. I could bring it back to life and actually with a nick or two on the side, uh, you could make them work. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things I've noticed recently is that um, like the old Jones calls, they they used to just have a – they used to have a double tab. 
um, kind of bend over on the frame in the back and they were a lot thinner uh, yeah. frame, a lot easier to bend. A lot of the newer calls are a lot thicker frames and a lot, a lot more difficult to try to bend those calls up. Well, that that's interesting. I wonder if it's got to be in the frame that they're that that's uh, making them a little more rigid. Yeah. Um, in, in you're bugling, you're definitely using a multi-read call. Yeah, I am. Have you always used a multi-read call, or 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 have you ever gone with just singles? I mean, I've used just singles before, but um, and you know, I'll mix it up too because sometimes. You know, we're, when you're out in the field, sometimes you don't know what, what is going to make a bull fire off. And so sometimes I'll use a single or a double or a triple. Sometimes I've been working a bull and, you know, not having him um, come in and then just switch from a double to a triple diaphragm. And, and um, just that little bit of change in the tone of the call, you know, kind of set the bull off. So I, I carry them all with me. Gotcha. Let me ask you a question. Um, so you're in Oregon. Uh, let's say you're hunting rosies. Um, you're a mile from the truck, let's say. Uh, it's just getting light. And let's say maybe you've heard some distant bugles. Um, what are you going to throw out there to project? To, what, what's, what's your location call? Let me hear you know, you don't have much going on. You don't really know what's going on. What 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 do you guys do? If if we um, if we hear a bugle, we're gonna and and we know the direction that that bugle's coming from. We're gonna move that direction. I mean, we're we're fairly aggressive in trying to get in on um, those bulls, especially Roosevelts. It seems like you have to be a little bit closer with those bulls um, to get them fired up. And, and I don't know if that's just because of all the, you know, the timber over here that the, the sound's just not carrying quite as far as it does on the east side or what, but it just seems like you have to be in um, closer to those bulls to get them fired off. So we'll move in pretty close and then just start out um, with some cow calls because, you know, I don't want to blow that bull out if he's close, and I may do that if, if I get real aggressive right off. And if he responds to my cow calls, I'm just going to stick with the cow calls. Okay, so let's use that scenario. You're up on a ridge. You heard a bull bugle. Let's say about as far off as you can hear a bull bugle. You've closed the distance. He has not sounded off again. What do you do? And I, I actually want to hear your what what. You know, what series are you going to throw out at them? Okay, I'm going to start off with some just real light cow sounds. And I'm just going to do that and see if he responds. And then we'll wait. I mean, we're not in a big rush when we're out um, hunting. And so we'll just, you know, we'll just wait for a a while to see if, you know, if that bull is going to respond. You know, he may need to think about it for a little bit. And then okay, so you're going to be patient, and if he doesn't fire back to that, you may sit there a couple more minutes, and and then what? You're going to do it again? Yeah, I mean, we may sit there five minutes, okay, and you know, then we'll do some more cow sounds, and then maybe we'll just you know start making some noise and some br- in the brush. We'll start you know breaking some branches. We'll walk around a little bit. Pretty easy to make noise over here on the west side. There's so much, so, <laughs> so we'll make some noise, um, you know, to try to perk that bull's interest a little bit, 
um, after we've done some more cow calls, if we're still not getting a response, then we'll do um, just kind of a location, kind of a bugle to see if we can get him to sound off. Let me hear that. Let me hear. So he hasn't he hasn't fired off. You know he's there, right. and you're just trying to get him to sound off. Let me hear what you would do. So I'm not doing anything real aggressive. I'm just trying. And let's say he hammers you right on that. He he hammers right on top of you. Uh, then what? Then, you know, depends on where the bull's at. And if I think that I can move in on him any closer, I would probably move in on him. And then um, either do some light cow calls or else just make some noise in the brush to let him know where I'm at. Because I think he, he's already identified me as an elk. If I make some noise, um, either cow calls or noise in the brush, you know, that, that might be enough just to call that bull in. Okay, okay and let's... Let's say he uh, bugled at you, uh, and he, he was real intent, and he's facing, and you can tell that he's, you know, coming your direction. Other than, you know, knocking an arrow and getting ready. Uh, if and let's say he was real intent, you could tell he was coming, but that now he's kind of taking his time. Huh. Then what? I think, you know, we would just maybe just wait for a while and continue to make a little bit of noise just to, you know, still sound like that we're some elk over there. I may, um, you know, constantly, you know, be checking the wind to make sure that we still got, you know, good wind. And then um, depends on where my shooter's at. I may kind of circle around a little bit to try to, um, you know, pull that bull that direction. I may make some additional cow sounds at that point. But if he's not yeah. responded to my to my cow calls, then you know then I would start to get aggressive with him. Show me some aggressiveness. Let's say he hammers right back at you and he's closed the distance in half. In half? So now we're at forty yards. Yeah, well, let's say, yeah, 40, 50, 60 yards, yeah. So, I'm, you know, Braden's, it depends on, you know, how far that I can see. I like to be able to see uh, my shooter when he's out front. So, if Braden's out in front of me, you know, he can only, I can only see 50 yards or something. Then I'm going to just have him out 50 yards and then, um, you know, just continue to, just to try to, hammer that bull if he's hammering me back with a bugle then i'm just going to stick with that bugle and still be aggressive and try to try to move around a little bit continue to make some noise and and try to call in braden's direction okay so you are you are uh using the call in a directional sense let's say braden's out in front of you the bull is directly between you and braden but the wind is coming from your right to left and the bull's straight over the top of Braden, which direction are you going to try and call or where do you want that bull to come in at in, in relationship to him? I, I want that bull to come in um, above Braden if the wind's blowing downhill. Right. So, so you want, and a, a good lesson to the listeners, I was, and you, you nailed it is you always want that bull to come in on the upwind side of your shooter. Yeah, right. uh, so you're going to use directional calls 
to try and get him to think that you're 40 or so yards upwind of your shooter, correct? Right, right. You know, and with, with the uh, the bowl that um, Braden shot this year, when that, when that bowl first um, came in, he was only about 10 yards from Braden, um, and then the bowl turned to leave. I just I got up and I just started heading straight away from Braden bugling as I was walking away, making noise and walking away from Braden to try to make that bull think that I was leaving so he would, you know, turn around and stop. The old fadeaway. That's right, fadeaway. I I think the fadeaway at times can be some of the most deadly tactics if you're using a two man tandem. Uh you know, you get a bull that's coming, he's really moving in on you. Uh, if that caller, you, you tell me what you think, Brian, but if that caller just starts edging backwards, if, if he's in a position, the caller's in a position where he is not being, cannot be seen, edge back 40 or 50 yards and let him just slide right by the hunter. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, totally. That's a great way to do it. And if you can't, would you turn as a caller, you're going to actually turn away from the bull and call back back over your shoulder, correct? Yep, correct. Okay. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit of difference between Roosevelt behavior and Rocky Mountain behavior that you've witnessed in Oregon as far as the bulls and, and their bugling and, you know, aggressiveness and what have you? Yeah, it just seems like um, like this last hunting season, we hunted on the west side for the first uh, four or five days, I think, or so. And we had, I think, four bulls that responded. Three of them, I think, bugled twice, and that was it. Even when you moved in on them, you know, it was early in the season, um, they just, you know, they just didn't get worked up at all. They, You know, they just weren't aggressive. And then we had one bull that um, I was up on the top of this ridge, on this edge of this clear cut and um i bugled probably i don't know six or eight times i think and then finally the bull fired off you know a pretty aggressive bugle so we went straight to the bottom after that bull and um didn't know the area really well and just with that thick of timber in there you don't know it, where all the draws and stuff are and so we got within where we were thought we were about I don't know, 80 yards, I think, of that bull and started calling and, and I could hear him coming. And then I, I didn't realize that there was a little, not even really much of a draw between him, uh, between the bull and us. And he just wouldn't come across that, come across that draw. But it just seems like you have to get in a lot closer to these bulls over here um, on the west side to get them to respond, first of all, and then, you know, to get them, to get them where they're worked up. So, so they have a little more taught they're I don't know what the word is they're they're not less tolerant but they they maybe because of the thicker terrain or something it just takes a little bit more and it takes a little bit tighter to get them to really crank up on you yeah and and there's there's so many roads over on on the west side over here because there's been so much logging over here it seems like there's a road everywhere so it seems like you know there's a lot of hunting pressure over here so I think once those bulls get called to a little bit, you know, they wise up a little bit and maybe they're not as vocal as, as, uh, you know, they would be otherwise if you're hunting an area. I mean, we, I've hunted in behind some gates. I, I guided a couple of times for 
Eden Ridge Outfitters, um, specifically Roosevelt's, and he had access to some property that um, nobody else had access to. And, and those bulls um, responded a lot like the ones over east. And so I think that pressure piece of it, you know, plays a huge part in it. Absolutely. Is there any difference to, between a Rosie's Bugle and a an, uh, Rocky's Bugle as far as you know, tonal quality, do they chuckle more? Do they, I mean, what's, is, do they sound virtually the same? They, they, they sound pretty much the same. I mean, they're both, um, you know, they can be real aggressive or they can just chuckle or, I mean, just like, you know, any of those Rocky Mountain elks. So I haven't noticed a lot of difference in their actual tone of the bugle or how loud they bugle or any of that kind of thing. So it's not like you could hear a video and say that's a Rosie and that's a Rocky. You, it's not. It's not like that. No, not necessarily. I mean, yeah. when you get in um, real close to a Rosie, sometimes I've you know heard that kind of. But I, I mean, I've heard Rocky Mountains do it too. But I've heard a, a lot more. I think with Roosevelt's, just that kind of Godzilla kind of bugle where they're yeah. real aggressive. I mean, you can tell that they're ticked off and. And they're coming. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit, uh, Brian and Braden. You chime in. Uh, you know, I've always said I'm a lover, not a fighter when it comes to uh, calling elk. Uh, I know that there's a lot of guys that, I mean, they don't even carry a cow call and they just bugle them up. Would you say that you're when you're hunting, are you a lover or are you a fighter? I'm a lover. You know. What about you, Braden? Uh I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a goofy question, I know. But <laughs> yeah. I I I like to sweet talk them. Uh, you know, our Arizona bulls. It just seems like, you know, I can bugle in smaller, younger bulls, no problem. Uh, it just seems like our eight or ten year old bulls. You know, they, you know, they can usually tell if a guy. You know, obviously, I'm not a world champion bugler, but. You know, it just seems like they can't really, a good cow calling, they can't tell the difference, uh, you know, bugling, unless you're really, really good. They can usually, after a few bugles, kind of, they're kind of on to you. Yeah. Is, that, is that the same in your country? Yeah, that's what I think, too. And it seems it seems like, you know, when you're um, cow calling to a bull, too, and he's coming into a cow call, it seems like he's a little less weary maybe he's not quite on, on of alert because he's not coming in to fight yeah so that's awesome uh brian tell me a little bit about your uh i know you have a i call elk app um on itunes yep. I, I i don't know much about it but tell me tell me what you got going there okay so um brayden has been very interested in uh, computer programming and so has been learning um, how to how to program and so we came up with the we wanted to create an app we have a friend who has an an app business he's a computer programmer and um, it's kind of been mentoring Braden a little bit and so we wanted to have a project that Braden could work on but also that would be of benefit to people and so we came up with the idea I call Elk. And so Braden actually did all of the programming um, on that to create the actual app. We we did a bunch of um, videos on there on how to how to call, how to make specific calls, how to tune a diaphragm call, um, what 
what different calls are. So we list off, you know, diaphragm calls, open read call, all of all of those different things. And we um, also included the 2012 um, World Elk Calling Championship video and then like some frequently asked questions for individuals who want to get into competition calling. And how do you find that app? Um, you can find it on the iTunes app store. And Do you just type in I Call Elk? Yeah, and we also made a uh, web-based version on our website. So if you have like an Android phone or your computer, you can um, actually get all the same content um, on our website. And what is your website, Braden? It's uh, umpqualoutdoors.com. Can you spell that for me? Uh, U-M-P-Q-U-A-O-U-T-D-O-O-R-S. Dot com? Yep. So you have a website, umpqualoutdoors.com, and you have on iTunes, you can type in I Call Elk, and it will come up? Yep. Yep. Okay, that's awesome. And so there's how tos, and is there actual uh, is there actual elk making sounds on the app as well? No, there's not. It's just us videos of us, um, and then okay. some recorded sounds that we make, and then we tell you how to make those specific sounds. Okay, great. And then um, Brian, do you? Uh, I understand you also give lessons on how to call elk, and and you'll actually. Uh, You'll actually give people lessons? Yep. Actually, this morning I was up in Hillsboro um, giving some private elk calling lessons to uh, about five individuals. So that's what. Awesome. That's what, so if people want to contact you about that, do they contact you through your site or how do you want them to contact yeah, you? Through the site would be great. Okay, that's fantastic. That's uh you know, it's great talking to you guys about elk. I'm sure we're going to have other conversations because, you know, when it comes to calling elk, there's so many facets and it's just such a, you know, intriguing thing to me as well as a lot of other people. I think we've covered a lot of ground here and um, uh, is there anything, any other tips or anything you guys want to add um, that you don't feel like we've covered today? You know, we've covered a lot today, Jay. And uh, yeah, um, I think, you know, it's a good start. Um, for people to gain additional information and they can always, you know, look us up on YouTube too. We have a few videos on there on how to tune the diaphragm call if they don't have the app. And, and I know that you have a ton of great videos on there. I know like for the competition calling your uh, one video with all those different bulls on their bugling was a great way to, to listen to some real elk. It's a lot of fun to listen to the real thing for sure. Um, you spoke about Facebook. Is that uh, your personal Facebook? How, tell, tell me where I can find you there on Facebook. So I have a, a, first, a personal Facebook, Brian Langley, and then also um, we have a Umqua Outdoors Facebook. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so yeah, Umqua Outdoors has a, a business page? Yeah. Okay, great. And they can contact you through there as well by the messaging system? Yep, they can. Okay, fantastic. Uh, you know, guys, I want to close a little bit. I know you both are men of faith, and I just wanted to ask you, uh, as well as I am, uh, what that means to you and um, uh, 
how long you guys have been believers and and if you could elaborate a little bit on that so um yeah i mean our faith is everything really i mean that's really what it, what it's all about um i mean cuz this life is short and it it passes quickly i mean just looking at braden and you know i can't hardly believe that he's 16 years old already but you know it's it's comforting knowing that you know this life is not all there is but um we can pass on our faith um to our kids and that's the, that's really the only thing that we can take with us when we go to heaven is really um those that we share the faith with and so it's 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 good um i didn't grow up in in a christian home um actually got saved probably when i was like a junior senior in high school um got actually invited to church uh, by my boss at, at a i worked at a gas station convenience store in high school and he actually asked us to boss uh to church and um that's really where got introduced to the lord and so um, that's awesome yeah from that point it, it's a testament to someone you know it, it goes back to ask your friends to church because uh, there's a perfect example of him asking you and it changed your life. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, looking back at, you know, a lot of the people that I was friends with in high school who didn't make that same decision and just seeing, um, the differences in the roads, um, you know, that God has led us on is, is, uh, pretty amazing. You know, I could very easily have been in that same situation without, you know, the influence of, of God in my life, you know, grew up in an alcoholic fo- home and, um, you know, prayed for mom and dad, you know, every day, you know, once I got saved and I mean, God totally did a miracle in their lives. And, and, uh, both of those and my mom and dad both got saved about four years later. And so dad passed away a year and a half ago and as tragic and as, as hard as, as that is to go through the death of a parent, you have a sense of peace because you know that you're going to see him again. So, I mean, it's, it's you know it's a solid rock that we stand on and so it's good that's fantastic that's fantastic well there you have it two world champions uh father son and uh you know the dynamic duo i'm i'm uh i'm excited to hear uh, braden call as well as he does and um it's uh it's awesome i'm excited to uh hear how you guys do this fall and uh I'll be uh, looking forward to um, hearing the reports, and uh, you guys are going to get both get get after it pretty hard during the archery season. Oh yeah, we're definitely yeah. going to get after it. <laughs> awesome. Well, you'll have to keep me up to date. Maybe we can do a little uh, uh, recap, a uh, little update right before the season and and uh, this this summer, and see how things are going. I want to thank you guys both for being on, and uh, uh, you know, I wish you the best with your uh, app on iTunes and with your uh, all the stuff you've got going with uh, your lessons and uh, just uh, wish you guys well and, uh, you know, God bless you guys. All right. Thanks, Jay, Thanks. for having us on your show today. And uh, it's been fun. We love to talk elk and elk hunting. And uh, um, you're uh, a great example of, uh, you know, what what somebody can accomplish. I mean, you've done a lot with your blog and with your website and, I mean, all of the, the hunt, great hunts that you've been on. And, I mean, you provide a lot of very detailed, good information um, on your YouTube videos. So, well done, Jay. 
Thank you, and uh, thanks for that. And you guys uh, have a good day, and uh, we'll be talking at you, okay? All right, sounds good. All right, guys, take care. Wow, what a great show. It's not often that you can have two world champion elk callers uh, on at the same time. It was nice to have father and son, uh, Brian and Braden Langley, with us, and um, just uh, two great elk callers, uh, state champion, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation champions. Uh, Just a whole lot of knowledge there. Uh, Obviously very good with their calls, and it was great to talk to them. And I look forward to seeing what they uh, have going on the next couple years. And um, I'm going to be checking out their uh, elk app that they have. And I just want to thank you guys, our listeners, uh, for tuning in. And thank you for your support. Um, You can send questions or comments about the show to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along on our adventures at jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, on our Facebook page at J. Scott Outdoors and on our YouTube channel, which is growing uh, daily uh, with some good videos and content there at J. Scott Outdoors. Uh, thank you for your support. And if you like what you're hearing, we appreciate uh, five-star ratings on iTunes and positive feedback. And uh, we just want to thank you guys for listening. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.